Trinity's new senator, Tom Clonan. Read by James Fleming. The ex-army officer speaks to Trinity today about his priorities for the Shannad, where he will join Senators Lynn Ruan and David Norris, representing the University of Dublin Trinity constituency. Tom Clonan wasn't present at the count on 31st March to elect a new Trinity senator to fill the seat vacated by Ivana Bacic's election to the Dáil. I'd made a commitment to a whistleblower group in Cork for that day, and I just didn't think I was in contention. The other candidates, Maureen Gaffney, Hazel Chu, Ursula Quill, Hugo McNeil, were really strong. I was just hoping to increase my vote share on my previous runs in 2016 and 2020. The vote went to 15 counts, and he didn't draw ahead until the 10th count, so his victory didn't sink in until the next morning when he woke up in Cork with his phone alight. There was a call from the clerk of the Shannad saying I had to come in and sign the book, and a call from my employer, Technological University Dublin, saying I had to apply for a career break immediately. I hadn't expected to win, so I'd made no preparations of what to do when elected. Evidently, he learned the ropes fast. When we meet in Leinster House, he is clearly on top of his commitments, while retaining his sense of excitement in the place. It's the summer recess, so we don't meet any TDs or senators, but he greets staff in the cafe and the corridors warmly by their first names. You expect a personal touch from Irish politicians, but Clonan seems genuinely considerate and interested in people, which must have stood to him, not only in his Shannad runs, but in the challenging years of whistleblower reprisal. It's been a fascinating and turbulent trajectory to the Shannad. He first came to Trinity in 1984 to the School of Education. I was brought up in Finglas and educated by the Christian Brothers, and I was first in my family to come to Trinity, but as soon as I walked through the front arch, I felt at home and accepted. By Irish standards of the time, Trinity was diverse, with students coming from all over Ireland, urban and rural, north and south. I did my degree through Irish, and a lot of my class were from the West. We're still friends today. After graduation in 1987, he worked as a primary school teacher in Lucan, but two years later decided to join the army. There is a family history of serving in the security forces. My father was a guard, and my grandfather and my maternal grandmother was with the South Dublin Brigade of the IRA in the War of Independence. They were an influence, and I also had a sense of wanting to contribute to a better society. During the late 80s in Ireland, there were no economic opportunities. The situation with the IRA and INLA was terrible and you still couldn't buy condoms easily. But in Europe, the Berlin Wall was coming down, and I remember how exciting it was to interrail across Europe after graduation, and how different it seemed to Ireland. I rather naively thought that joining the army would help me contribute to making Ireland a place where you didn't have to keep looking over your shoulder. The cadetship was tough, physically and psychologically. Out of 60 who started, only 41 made it through. A third were either discharged or made to repeat. He graduated sixth in the year and was then seconded to provide armed support to Angarda Siakana along the border.
1995, he was sent to Lebanon to support the Irish peacekeeping forces in the UN. It was, he recalls, a really violent deployment. When Hezbollah stepped up attacks in January 1996, Israel launched Operation Grapes of Wrath in retaliation. In March and April, the area where we were stationed was subject to tens of thousands of airstrikes and missile attacks. Our job was to provide security cover for the Red Cross, pulling bodies with horrific injuries out of rooms, elderly people and kids. It was just horrendous. It culminated in the massacre of Kana. 48 hours after Kana, I was walking up Grafton Street, holding hands with my girlfriend. I didn't have the language to know how traumatised I was, but I knew I couldn't continue like that. Clonan remained with the army, but began a PhD in DCU as a route to an academic career. He chose as his subject the role and treatment of women in the Irish army. I knew this was an issue that needed research because in my cadet training there were just four women out of 60, and when I was providing armed support to the Gardaí, I noticed there were no women in senior intelligence and that women officers were subject to all kinds of restrictions. For instance, women pilots couldn't fly a plane if there were weapons on board. This made no kind of sense to me. He was particularly alive to the discrimination because of the example of his granny, Moraid Begley. Nana had come to Dublin from Kerry in 1916 for teacher training and was totally radicalised by the rising. She joined Cumann and she was attached to the South Dublin Brigade for the IRA. She took part in petrol bombing barracks and in abductions, all of that. After she retired from teaching, she lived with us in Finglas and I heard all about her exploits, so I always knew that women played a seminal role in the liberation of the state. They weren't just making sandwiches. His thesis proved controversial. Not only did my findings show that the defence forces were explicitly discriminatory, but of the 60 female army personnel I interviewed, 59 reported bullying and sexual harassment, and 12 reported sexual assault in the workplace, including rape. After I graduated in late 2000, I gave an executive summary of my findings to the army. They took it badly. Six months later, in summer 2001, his findings became public knowledge when journalist Declan Power came across his thesis while investigating rape claims at an FCA training camp and highlighted it in articles for the Sunday World and Sunday Independent. That's when what I call the whistleblower reprisal started, though we didn't use that terminology then. Senior army personnel took to the airwaves to denounce Clonan and deny his findings. Luckily, I'd resigned from the army or I would have been court-martialed. As it was, my job as a lecturer in DIT was threatened because the army was saying I'd falsified my research. I had to get legal advice. During this incredibly stressful time, he suffered a series of tragedies. My mother died, followed shortly after by my sister, and then we lost a baby girl at birth. And our son, Owen, was diagnosed with a rare neuromuscular disease, which would eventually confine him to a wheelchair. It was horrendous, and the army didn't let up. Even though my former colleagues knew what I was going through, the attacks continued. He began to suffer the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. I've learned that when soldiers go through what we did in Lebanon, 
Often there isn't an immediate reaction, but it can resurface years later, triggered by other stresses. That's what happened to me. I was fortunate to find a great therapist who helped me through. In 2005, he successfully settled a defamation and libel case against the army, and in 2019, the new chief of staff, Mark Mellet, called me in to thank me for my contribution. He said he couldn't apologize, but he could express regret over what happened. I don't actually care if they apologize to me, but they should apologize to the women. By then, Clonan had developed a parallel career as a journalist, writing about defense and security issues for the Irish Times and other papers, and as a disability rights activist. After the economic crash in 2008, the supports that Owen relied on from the state were taken away, and that's when I became an advocate. It wasn't by choice, it was by necessity. It was as a disability rights advocate that he first ran for the Shannon in 2016. Now that he's been elected, he wants to do something constructive, quantifiable and measurable. He gives examples of anomalies he is currently addressing. When artists with a disability receive an awards from the Arts Council, they have their disability benefit cut to the same value as the award, which is blatantly unfair. And for the Higher Education Act, I tabled amendments to make sure that students with disabilities have full access to SUSE grants, irrespective of what, what place they're awarded. He is adamant that universities must be engines of ethical and social recovery, not just of economic growth. Among the things I support the provost Linda Doyle on is that she doesn't think education is a commodity to be sold. He believes that this view of higher education as an ethical and social good is shared by his constituency of Trinity graduates, but he admits frankly that I don't actually know who voted for me. It's a fundamental thing in politics to know who your voters are, but I don't because Trinity graduates are diverse and are living all around the world. All I know is that some people put their faith in me, and I'd like to thank them for giving me this chance. It's a huge privilege, and I'm going to make the most of it.